Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we turn to the scripture, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, enliven us, enlighten us, reveal yourself to us, God. We want to know you. We want to hear from you. Make it so by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if, uh, if you're a guest with us today, my name's John. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I, add, I add my welcome to those of others. And uh, it's good to be worshiping together. We're in the midst of a sermon series in uh, the book of Ephesians. We've just been working our way straight through that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And we've uh, noticed that there are two halves to Ephesians, or you could think of it that way, at least. The first half deals with uh, kind of answering the question, who am I in Christ? And the second half really grapples with this question, uh, what do we do now? You know, now that we know that we are beloved children of God. So it's kind of identity and calling, uh, who we are in Jesus and what we're to do in Christ. And in the second half now, the what, what we're to do part, it, it kind of breaks down into sections. And last week we concluded the first of those sections, which really unpacks the, the new life that's possible to us in Jesus and what that begins to look like as we as we kind of live that out. And the section we enter today really gets down to brass tacks. It starts to spell out what that new kingdom kind of life looks like in our, in our closest everyday relationships. And this, uh, this section from uh, Ephesians 5.21 to Ephesians 6 verse 9 has been called the household code or kind of rules for life in the household. And it deals with marriage and parents and kids and servants in the, in the households of old. So the, the passage for this week specifically deals with uh, husbands and wives. And it, it tries to detail what a kingdom kind of life might look like in marriage when both the husband and the wife approach their marriage from their identity in Christ. As, as dearly loved children of God. So that's where we're heading today. Now, if you're single or not married, please do not check out. I've got some stuff to say about that. We believe that this is the word of God and that scripture is for the whole church, for all of us. Uh, so let's listen to it now in that spirit. So as John said, the scripture today is from Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, 
Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. So, husbands and wives, it's as simple as that. Just go do it. Not quite that easy, huh? I mean, there's... There's a lot to unpack in this passage, and I probably won't say everything that needs to be said, nor everything that probably even should be said, so give me a little grace in this whole thing, right? Um, My take on this part of Ephesians is this. The Apostle Paul is translating conceptual ideas into concrete examples by describing what a kingdom kind of life looks like in our closest everyday relationships. And for for many people, the relationship that is the closest and most everyday is their marriage. Uh, A a friend of mine described marriage as deciding to become roommates for life, right? It's just, you're in the mix all the time. But that is not the case for everyone. Uh, because many of us are not married. And uh, there's a tension in the air in the church around this that we should just name and speak directly to. I experienced it for a long time because I was uh, a person who was uh, 40 when I got married. So I was single until 40 and a pastor functioning in the church. And I experienced uh, often, I think, the very clear communication of the church that I was incomplete because I wasn't married. Now, I don't think anyone ever intended to communicate that message, uh, but it seeped out all the time, and it revealed what people, well-meaning church folks, it revealed what people really believed, which in summary version kind of goes like this. Everyone should aspire to be married, If you aren't married, you should be looking because everyone knows that being married is better than being single. Now, if you aren't married and you're getting on in years, as I was, you know, it starts to raise some questions. People wonder why you're not married. Is there something wrong with him? Uh, More directly, do you have a secret sexual life that we need to know about that's just... Under, under the water, not visible? What, what's going on here? Uh, when I was interviewing for this position back in 2007, can you believe it was 2007? <laughs> 12 years, isn't that crazy? Um, I was single, and this, it, it made the search team wonder. And they asked me about that in an appropriate kind of way. Hey, tell us about that. Tell us about, you know, would, would you, do you hope to be married? Do you... And, and two things came from that. First, I was absolutely delighted to answer. That didn't bother me one bit uh, because I, I kind of think spiritual leaders should be transparent uh, in, this, in this kind of role, happy, happy to talk about all that. Second, though not bothered, it wasn't lost on me that being single raised a question in their minds. It did. It made them wonder what was up. Right? And, and I felt, again, the unintended communication that one is incomplete unless married. See, the idea that a single person might be pursuing uh, a virtuous life through celibacy and chastity is almost entirely absent 
from the imagination of the modern church. But that's not good. That is not good because the Bible lifts up the single life, not just as an acceptable option if you can't find somebody to marry, but as a noble, virtuous, and very faithful response to Jesus in and of itself. Simply that choice is lifted up in Scripture as as a very noble option. Jesus was single by choice. The Apostle Paul was single by choice, and he went on to say, I wish everybody could be like me in this, right? Uh, The Reverend John Stott, who wrote the commentary that I'm riding hard for this whole Ephesians series, (laughs) was single by choice, by calling even. Many people are called to be single. I hope we can realize that and not only accept it, but encourage it. So people are not completed by marriage. People are completed by Jesus. That's what Christians believe. And one of the great crises facing the church in my mind today is the insinuation that marriage makes everything better. Uh, Because it doesn't, right? I mean, if you've been married, you, you realize very quickly that marriage doesn't make everything better. In fact, it makes a whole lot of things a lot harder. And one of the purposes of marriage is that God will use your marriage on you as sanctifying sandpaper, right? <laughs> and that's, that's intended, actually. Uh, and we don't, we don't really talk about that in the church. I mean, that is one of the purposes of marriage. Um, so people are completed by Jesus, and Jesus is our model. We follow Jesus, not the culture around us. And let's just name all the, some of the stuff. It's not all the stuff. This isn't comprehensive. Name some of the stuff uh, that the, cult, the culture is telling us. The culture says you're not a grown-up until you're married. The culture says you're not an adult until you're sexually experienced. The culture says marriage will fill the gaps you're feeling in yourself and in your life. Now, so, some of these are, are uh, kind of half-truths, and some are just flat-out lies, just not true. And quite frankly, the church has become quite enculturated in this. We've kind of bought into some of these lines and we're uh, living out our life with this kind of belief set under the the surface that really accepts that stuff. The Apostle Paul in another letter, 1 Corinthians, kind of unpacks some of this stuff. And he... he, uh, he goes through different kind of life situations in which people could find themselves. Some people are married. Some people are single. Some people are married uh, because they were forced to marry by their family or their, their culture. Some people are married and wish they weren't. Uh, some people are married and wish they hadn't. Some people are single by calling. Some people are single by choice. Some people are single by circumstance and would like to marry. That was my situation. And I invited friends to pray with me in that. And that, that's all good. And, and, you know, I mean, it's fine to ask friends to pray for you about, about getting married. So Paul unpacks some of these things in 1 Corinthians. And so often we focus on the situations, but not on his conclusion, which is this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. I mean, this is how we as Christians ought to encourage one another uh, toward living as a believer in whatever situation we happen to find ourselves right now. And not just single or married, though that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. In whatever situation you find yourself in life right now, the $25,000 question is this. 
what does it look like in your current life circumstance to follow Jesus? Because that's the important question. What's the faithful response to the Lord right now? You know, be you a student in middle school? Uh, Be you a retired person uh, well on in years? Be you in the heart of a very busy career? Wherever we are, what's the faithful response to Jesus now? So that's all backdrop and caveat to this whole message. Uh, Let's be careful the way we engage others as Christians around the issue of being single or being married. So now the, the household code, remembering that this is translating conceptual ideas into concrete examples of what a kingdom kind of life looks like in our closest everyday relationships. So we could think of this uh, scripture that we read today as having a frame and a picture in the middle. So the frame is the frame of mutual submission. I mean, the verses we we read today, really set that up. And the first verses in the second half of Ephesians, that half that starts to turn the corner toward asking, what should we do? How should we live now that we know who we are in Jesus? Remember those verses. They, They are these. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the question today is, what does it mean to be completely humble, gentle, and patient with your spouse? What does that look like in in daily life? How should we behave to make that a reality? Uh, Because if you're married, you know your spouse can push your irritation buttons like nobody else, right? So, So how do we do this? The scripture is very clear. We start by submitting to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutual submission is the frame for this whole conversation. It goes both ways. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. It's very clear. It says it right there. Uh, So verse 21 is the place to start. Mutual submission. And verse 33, the last verse of the day, is the place to end because it very simply tells us what to do as husbands and wives to live out that mutual submission. And it says this, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So husbands submit to their wives by loving them. Wives submit to their husbands by respecting them. So this is the first, the first step in being completely humble, gentle, and patient with your spouse. So that's the frame for the conversation, mutual submission. We submit to one another. And the stuff on the inside is the picture, But before we talk about the picture, we have to talk about the canvas upon which it is painted. Because that picture of what marriage in Christ looks like is painted on on a theological canvas of Jesus and his church. And that canvas has the texture of of grace, of loving kindness, of self-giving love one toward the other to the point of laying down your life for the other. So on this canvas, an understanding of our identity in Christ is assumed. Remember, all of the second half of Ephesians emerges out of the first. Uh, Christian ethics, what we're supposed to do, emerges out of Christian identity, who we are in Jesus. And remember, the summary of who we are is dearly loved children. Every need, uh, kind of those that Jesus faced in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, the felt needs we have, appetite, ambition, approval, 
mean, every need we have ultimately, the Lord might choose to meet that through other people, but ultimately those needs are met by Jesus, not by our spouse, right? So when identity is assumed and an understanding of those needs being met by the Lord is present, then we have this, this kind of canvas in place. And on that canvas, the instruction to wives is this. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. And in this painting, the the instruction to husbands is this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So just a couple things here. First, submissiveness is out of favor in our culture. I don't know who, who of you might have been here when we talked about uh, the, the first verses in the second half of Ephesians. Be completely humble, be completely gentle, be patient with one another. We unpacked that humility was not a shared cultural value in the ancient world. It, it wasn't a good thing to be humble. So when the apostle Paul came out and said to all the Christ followers, be completely humble, meaning take, take the posture of a servant. Be like Jesus when he took off his outer garment and wrapped the towel around his waist and knelt down to wash his disciples' feet. Be like that. To them, that was uh, an instruction to take a very lowly position because the culture did not value that, thought it was below them. So in many ways, this kind of command to submit has the same grind culturally with us today because this isn't out of, we much prefer permissiveness and freedom to submission. This, This is just really true, right? So second, this, this command for wives to submit to their husbands because the husband is the head of the wife, in my opinion, has been so poorly interpreted and applied in the church, it is painful, just painful. And the result of that poor interpretation and application, in my opinion, is utterly predictable because it has forced us into an either-or position. Right? Seemingly, it's a false choice, really, but it's forced this, like either you have to choose the place where, okay, it says it right here in the Bible, uh, wives submit to your husbands. That means in the marriage relationship, the husband is the decision maker or at least has the, the largest trump card in his hand all the time and can kind of throw it down whenever he feels a need to exert that. Uh, you either live in that kind of model or you kind of bail on the whole thing and say, well, I don't, I mean, that doesn't really feel right or seem right so I don't know I mean I know it says submit but what does that actually mean so well, I don't know I mean, I'm just kind of chucking it and not really allowing this to guide the marriage relationship at all and in my opinion you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right so there, there's two options both of which in my mind we want to avoid so so look at it again what does the scripture actually say wives submit yourselves to your own husband's as you do to the Lord for, so the for means because, so this is going to explain why that instruction is there, the the why behind the instruction to submit. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So how is Christ the head of the church and what does that headship look like? 
Think about it, right? I mean, Mark 10, one of the classic things that Jesus said to his apostles, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. The head of the church is the servant of all. I mean, the, the, the headship of Jesus, of the church, is more focused on care than control and on responsibility than exercising authority over others. I mean, really, just think about it in really practical ways. Like, how, how is Jesus your head as, as a Christ follower? Does Jesus control everything that you do? Does Jesus come and kind of play a trump card and say, nope, that way? I mean, I mean, the Lord guides us, the Lord prompts us, the Lord invites us, the Lord challenges us with conviction. Uh, but it certainly seems biblically, especially because in the verse it says, uh, you know, Christ is the head of... Um, Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. That's right in the passage, right right in the text. Uh, to that point, John Stott writes this, the head of the body is the savior of the body. The characteristic of his headship, the headship of Jesus over the church, is not so much lordship as saviorhood. Well, that changes it. Right? Jesus is the Lord of the church and he became the Savior when he gave himself up for the church. So, so what does it mean that, the, that a wife is supposed to submit to the husband because the husband is the head of the wife? And again, the head of the church is the servant of all. So in, in marriage, it seems to mean that the, the, the headship of the husband, um, this is a really poor example that came to me, but, but go with me in this. If your marriage was a business and the husband had a title, it would be the CGO, the chief giving officer. That that is what headship means. That just like Jesus laid down his life and gave and gave and gave, gave everything. That's the calling of the husband in the marriage relationship. Um, And the more time I camped out in this passage this week, by the way, the more I began to realize that it has a lot more to say to husbands than to wives, in my opinion, because it keeps circling back around to uh, uh, really the husband's responsibility to follow Jesus in giving. And in, in, the, in, the, in this primary um, relationship of life, that a kingdom kind of life emerges when the, when the husband gives. I mean, so guys, you're to give to your wife and then, and then give some more and then to keep on giving. And then, and then give a little bit more and then give everything you've got and then you're just getting started in this calling to give, to care, to take responsibility and to give of yourself over and over and over again. I mean, that's, this is the detail for how you as a guy, if you are married, are to love your wife because that's your part, Remember? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Giving yourself up for your wife. And by the way, all the other stuff in that verse about making her, making her holy and washing her through the water. Husbands do not facilitate their wives' salvation. Believe it or not, that's another wild thing out there. Uh, 
because these verses have been so warped over the years, right? Husbands don't facilitate their wife's salvation. The, the calling here is to love your wife as Christ loves the church and Christ loved the church for the good of the church, for the benefit of the church, for the flourishing of the church. So husbands are called to love their wives that way. So back to wives submitting to husbands. When, when the husband is functioning fully in the CGO role, right, chief giving officer, uh, it becomes an easier thing to think about submitting to that because these, again, these aren't things that we do because the other person has a need that we act this way. This is a portrayal of what a kingdom kind of life looks like. And, and it, it's the same way that we as the church submit to Jesus, right? That's the parallel. The church doesn't submit to Jesus because we have to. I mean, we submit to Jesus because we get to, because we can, because there's absolutely no question that Jesus is for us, that he loves us, that he was, uh, was and is pursuing us, that he has our best interests in mind, that he would do anything for us, that he would and did lay down his life for us. I mean, submitting to that, is, that's not a hard thing. You know, that's a thing to which we say, yes, please, I want more of that. So I, I think this is helpful. I hope this is helpful, right? This is just unpacking what the text actually says, which is really what we should do all the time with the Bible, right? So let, let's summarize this and go back to the, the basic model kingdom kind of life as it plays out in everyday relationships. So I also take that to mean that there are things in the the way a kingdom kind of marriage plays out in everyday life, values, principles that are transferable to the way our closest relationships play out in everyday life. This is the word of God for the whole people of God, right? Uh, So again, the Apostle Paul is translating conceptual ideas into concrete concrete examples by describing what a kingdom kind of life looks like in our closest everyday relationships. And this whole passage of scripture follows right on the tail of the command for us to be filled with the Spirit and to go on being filled with the Spirit. And that's really the only way this, this... thing ever gets legs and and plays itself out fruitfully, right? We're we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and as we are, we live into the kingdom kind of life that God has for us, not because we're suddenly getting it right, but because we're becoming more and more the kind of people God made us to be. And the Holy Spirit is reminding us of who we are, changing us, empowering us. And, And the whole mutual submission thing in marriage flows from that place. And looks like this. Here's the summary. Uh, Husbands and wives submit to one another. Husbands submit to their wives by loving them. Wives submit to their husbands by respecting them. There's a a great curriculum called Love and Respect. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's it's helpful about uh, in this marriage thing, but that's more for later. Headship for the husband means care, responsibility, and giving. Husbands love their wives when they keep on giving of themselves for their wives. And wives respect their husbands when they acknowledge and appreciate the husband's efforts to represent Jesus in that, in that self-giving love. Right. So really the calling to both husbands and wives is to parallel the interaction between Jesus and the church. And this is, this is you know, self-giving love, unquestionable self-giving love, and a, a saying yes to that and receiving of that, and a, a moving in grace and mercy 
and, and, and kindness. I mean, this is, this is the whole thing. The lover and the beloved, right? The two main characters in the Song of Songs. Uh, that book that, that many, many people take as to be a marriage book, but which the reformers saw much more as a description of the relationship between Jesus and the church than, than simply a book on marriage. So as we become more like Jesus, we behave differently with our spouses, and that is as it should be. And as we become more like Jesus, we, be, we behave differently in all of our closest everyday relationships. And that is as it should be. Because again, the larger issue is not whether you're married or single. And we're called to live a life worthy of the calling we've received in Jesus. Therefore, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray, shall we? God, thanks for this. Uh, I'm so very mindful of my own smallness and shortcomings, so if there be anything that I said that you need to erase or revise, please, by your spirit, God, do that. And if there be anything here from you, of you, would you please amplify that and, and show us uh, your way, which is always the way of a fullness of life because we know that that is what you came and intend to give us. You came to give us life and life to the full. So God, thank you for your goodness to us. Help us in our, in our uh, search to understand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.